welcome to the Election Ride Home for Friday, October 11th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a show almost entirely about CNN's LGBTQ town hall last night, a brief note about debate bingo, and a Canada anecdote. Here's what you missed last night from the CNN town hall. Last night, CNN hosted an LGBTQ town hall event in Los Angeles. It was held in conjunction with the Human Rights Campaign Foundation and featured nine candidates for the Democratic nomination. In today's show, we're going to listen to almost all of those candidates and get at some of the issues raised in the multi-hour event. Today's show is almost entirely highlights from that event, so buckle up. Overall, the event did not expose a ton of differences between the candidates in terms of their core beliefs, but it did expose a real difference in how the candidates talked about issues, how they answered direct questions, and how they spoke to policy as it applied to the LGBTQ community. You saw some differences in how far candidates were willing to go on certain policies, and some differences in how familiar they seemed to be with this audience. For instance, one issue that came up was PrEP. This is a drug combination of HIV prevention medications that are about to go off patent. Now, when that happens, they can be manufactured as generic drugs for far, far less money. These drugs have a major effect in reducing or preventing HIV and AIDS transmission, both here and abroad. Widespread availability of PrEP, especially if it's super cheap or free, could act similarly to a vaccine against HIV-AIDS. It's not quite as effective as a true vaccine, but it is pretty darn effective, and this is an international issue. So, for instance, when Senator Warren was asked about the drug, she said that she would make it available at cost as a generic drug if elected. Now, that's probably what many or maybe all of these candidates would do, but she was familiar enough with that issue to volunteer that as a known part of her plan. She was not alone in having specific plans and familiarity with these kinds of issues, though. Other candidates stood out for their familiarity with, for instance, asylum policy and how it affects LGBTQ immigrants. Julian Castro basically owns that issue. And Senator Kamala Harris had a lot to say about homelessness and its disproportionate effects on this community. She also got at the prep stuff and lots of other stuff. Point being, this was a very long event with a bunch of issues, and most of the candidates there were very engaged and knowledgeable. One issue that permeated the evening was the ongoing murder of transgender people in the U.S., including many black transgender women. There was a major protest, including banners and an organized group, right at the beginning of Mayor Pete Buttigieg's first question. And protesters continued to speak up about this issue throughout the night. Reading from CNN's coverage to put it in perspective, quote, A member of the audience interrupted California Senator Kamala Harris Thursday night and pleaded for assistance in addressing the deaths of more than a dozen transgender people. The audience member shouted questions to Harris as she stood on stage at the town hall in Los Angeles. How do we get those men to stop killing us? How do we get those men to stop killing trans women of color? We are hunted, systematically hunted. How can they do that? The audience member shouted. Last year, the human rights campaign tracked the murders of at least 26 transgender people. This year, that tally is already at 18. End quote. Well, here is audio of that and how Harris responded. Listen in. How do we get those men to stop killing trans women of color 
We are hunted. I know. Systematically hunted. I know. How do we do that? No, I, 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 you're right. And so, so, but I'm just saying, so he, does, I want you to be able to talk. That's what I'm saying. Um, we have, it's a number of things. I mean, one, there has to be serious consequence and accountability when it happens, which means there needs to be a safe place for the members of our transgender community to go when they have been exposed to that kind of harm. And we know there's not always a safe place. I will tell you, when I was district attorney of San Francisco, it was after the tragedy of Gwen Arahu, Matthew Shepard, and other cases where people were being killed. And what was happening in courtrooms is that if the killer was caught and arrested and charged, in the courtroom they would offer a defense. It was called the gay or trans panic defense. You remember that? And they'd say, oh, I freaked out, therefore I didn't have the state of mind for which you can convict me of murder. And I saw this happening. So I convened prosecutors from around the country, first ever time it ever happened, to come to San Francisco, and we created a whole training on how to defeat the gay trans panic defense. And we brought in... And this was in the early 2000s and brought in, uh, you know, we, we, I say with pride um, that we, you know, there are a lot of the leaders, in, early leaders in the trans community who came from San Francisco. And so we brought in these, these leaders to talk about the community, to talk about how the, the issue is playing out, to talk about the injustices. And, and, and it ended up being a model for what needs to happen around also what we do around public safety to make sure that it does not go without consequence. And next, let's listen to how Buttigieg responded earlier in the evening after a group of protesters raised the same issue during his very first question. Now, that protest was so heated that moderator Anderson Cooper looked like he was trying to avert violence in the crowd, although the camera never cut to the crowd, so I don't really know for sure. Anyway, after the protesters had been removed from the room, this is what Buttigieg said. Listen in. I do want to acknowledge what these demonstrators were speaking about, which is the epidemic of violence against black trans women in this country right now. Um, And I believe or would like to believe that everybody here is committed to ending that epidemic, and that does include lifting up its visibility and speaking to it. It's also a reminder of something at stake in your question, which is just how much diversity there is within the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm very mindful of the fact that my experience as a gay man, but as a white cisgender gay man, means that there are dimensions, for example, of what it's like to be a black trans woman that I do not personally understand. But I also think the diversity within the LGBTQ plus community is part of what we have to offer right now. Our community, our country is so torn apart, we're so fragmented. And here we have the LGBTQ plus world that is everywhere. We are in every state, every community. Whether folks realize it or not, we're in every family. And that means we can also have the power to build bridges. And when somebody is weighing whether to come out or just coming to terms with who they are, 
It's really important for them to know that they're going to be accepted. There is no right or wrong way to be gay, to be queer, to be trans. And I hope that our own community, even as we struggle to define what our identity means, defines it in a way that lets everybody know that they belong among us. There were many other notable moments from Buttigieg, but I want to pick one out here. He was asked a question by a 911 dispatcher on the issue of blood donation. Listen in. Current FDA blood donation policy prohibits gay men who have been sexually active in the past 12 months from donating blood. When tragedy hits and blood donations are desperately needed, many gay men are unable to donate simply because they're in a relationship with a partner of the same sex. Would you support a shorter deferral window and what would your administration do to allow someone like me to be able to donate blood when it's needed? First of all, thanks for what you do to keep your community safe. And so many people want to take that extra step and contribute literally a life-saving means to help others. In South Bend, we run a mayor's office blood drive. It's one of the things that, uh, that we've traditionally done, and I inherited it when I became mayor. And I remember the moment when I realized that unlike most initiatives that I spearhead, I can't lead by example on this one because my blood's not welcome in this country. And it's not based on science, it's based on prejudice. So, so when I'm president, I will direct the FDA to revise the rules based on evidence, based on individual risk factors, and without regard to the prejudice that has driven the current policy that you're describing. And in what was clearly the zinger of the night, Warren handled a question in a way that basically blew up the room and also spread instantly across Twitter. So listen in. Let's say you're on the campaign trail and you're I approached. Have you have uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> and, a, and a supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I'm old fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. <laughs> And I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. <laughs> I'm cool with that. <laughs> Assuming you can find one. And with that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
All right, we are back. Now, Warren also had a series of more substantive answers in which he suggested, among other things, using the power of U.S. trade agreements to enforce LGBTQ protections around the world. Biden suggested a similar policy, and so did Julian Castro. Let's listen to Castro's response here. Worldwide, over one-third of countries still consider homosexuality a crime. Uh, What will your administration do to advance the rights of the LGBTQ community worldwide and target regimes that still violently infringe upon these human rights? Thank you very much for that question. And you're right, throughout the world today, um, uh, we have countries that are openly violating the human rights of the LGBTQ community, in some cases subjecting them to um, injury and to to murder. Um, What I believe is that the United States needs to stand up for human rights, including the human rights of people from the LGBTQ community, uh, and to make foreign aid um, contingent upon countries improving in that regard. Because I don't think that it's enough for us to just say words we actually have to take action. We have to make that meaningful, and I would do that as president. I also believe that our asylum policies, for instance, should reflect our values. Just a couple of days ago, I went down to Matamoros, Mexico, which is on the other side of Brownsville, Texas, and I was there to highlight um, the challenges that members of the LGBTQ community are facing. These are folks who are applying for asylum in the United States, but in an unprecedented way, the Trump administration is making them remain in Mexico until their asylum claim is adjudicated. But the eight members of the LGBTQ community that I was there with, they were fleeing persecution, violence, threats, and they're experiencing those same kinds of things right now. And so they should never have been put into that program in the first place. They deserve asylum. And, you know, just like, just like we went over there to highlight justice for them, as president, I will make sure that we act toward justice for all members of the LGBTQ community, whether they're in the United States, whether they're seeking asylum, or whether they live in other countries. Senator Amy Klobuchar addressed the only question of the evening about non-binary people. It's a short answer and an admirably direct one, so let's listen in. I currently identify as non-binary. In California, I am able to change my gender to X. However, on the federal level, there is no such option. Will you recognize third gender markers on a federal level? Yes. Thank you. I will. Um, And I think there's also, you know, I think that there is a lot of work we need to do all over the country with driver's licenses, as you know. Uh, Not every state has some of the provisions that California have in place and just work on a state-by-state basis uh, to make those changes. So thanks for asking the question. Thank you. And by the way, the answer Klobuchar gives there is actually pretty typical of other answers during the night. There were many cases where a simple yes or no question was asked and the answer was just Yes, that is really refreshing in a political event. I've seen so many yes or no questions in this cycle answered with, you know, we should have a discussion about that or whatever. In this case, almost every candidate just said yes. They had a clear position on whatever issue was brought. There were a few exceptions, though. The notable example was when Senator Cory Booker refused to answer a yes or no question. 
It was about whether religious institutions should be allowed to discriminate against LGBTQ people while retaining their tax-exempt status. Booker was asked repeatedly to give a yes or no answer on that, and he refused to do so. Beto O'Rourke got a similar question and said yes, and then gave a full answer. So there were some differences on display. O'Rourke handled a question on conversion therapy from moderator Don Lemon. Klobuchar actually had a similar question and answer, but the one from O'Rourke is a little more thorough. So listen in. Let's talk about something that also doesn't get enough coverage and is controversial. And I'm talking about conversion therapy, which is a widely discredited practice that seeks to change a person's sexual orientation or possibly their, their gender idea, identity. Yeah. Should this be illegal? And if it is illegal, what should the punishment be? It should be illegal. Um, as president, we will seek to outlaw it everywhere in this country. In my opinion, this is tantamount to torture. Uh, a torture that we're visiting mm. on children who are absolutely defenseless. <laughs> and so we're going to make sure that whatever the penalty is, it is steep enough to dissuade anybody from entering into this practice or being able to, to torture kids with the kind of impunity that we have seen mm -hmm. so far. And we're also going to recognize that these kind of practices, in addition to the immediate torture that that child or that person feels, also adds to other challenges that we have. When we look at homeless youth in America, 40% identify as LGBTQ in America right now. When we look at those who age out of the foster care system right now, some of them subject to these conversion therapy practices, their outcomes in life are not what they should be, in part because of the practices that we've allowed so far. So yes, we will outlaw, and yes, we will ensure that there are penalties stiff enough, enforcement vigorous enough to make sure that it does not continue. And finally, Senator Bernie Sanders couldn't attend the event. His next public appearance is at the debate on Tuesday. But CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta asked him a few questions about LGBTQ issues during a sit-down interview earlier in the day. Here's a clip from that, and there's a link to the full interview in the show notes. So listen in. Senator, let me take a few minutes to ask you a few questions about the town hall tonight, the yes, LBGTQ right. town hall. You, you can't be there, obviously. Let me apologize to the human rights organization for not being there, but I'm glad we have this opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, you, you know, you, you have been fighting for, for gay rights since the early 1970s. There's this picture of you actually from 63, I believe, in Chicago, uh, a civil rights uh, civil. Uh, protest at that point. Has civil rights and gay rights, have they always been part of the same thing? Yes, they are. Uh, I think the picture you're referring to is I was a student at the University of Chicago. Uh, I was arrested for uh, involvement in a demonstration against segregated housing in Chicago. I know I date myself a little bit, but I was there with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, speech uh, for jobs and justice. This, you know. And um, so the issue of justice ending discrimination uh, as something that I've been involved in my whole life. When I was mayor in Burlington, we were involved in it as well. When you, when you read the civil rights uh, uh, language specifically of 64, it says prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It doesn't say sexual orientation. How, 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 do you, how do you sort of reconcile that? Well, I think, you know, we can argue what the intent is. What I will tell you, Sanjay, is I am very worried about the right wing in this country now using the argument of freedom of religion to foster discrimination. We all believe in freedom of religion. That's, we're all proud Americans. Everybody has the right to 
practice their own religion. But we cannot now use uh, the argument that it is my religious belief that if you're gay, I uh, will not sell you uh, a cake. Or I will, if you are black, it is my religious belief you can't come into my store if you're Jewish or whatever. We've gone way, way beyond that. And it worries me very much uh, that there is a strong movement trying to bring, the, under the guise of freedom of religions, religion, racism and sexism and homophobia uh, back into this. All right, a quick reminder that Debate Bingo is ready for y'all. It's the top link in the show notes, or if you are not a show notes person, here is the place to go. Ridehome.info slash bingo. Again, that is ridehome.info slash bingo. From there, you can grab the cards, they're a PDF file, and check out those printing instructions. The key thing is print single-sided. My printer defaults to double-sided, which is almost always great because it saves paper, but in the case of bingo, it is no help because you end up with an unusable bingo card on the back of the bingo card you're trying to play. So make sure you get those cards printed or saved to your tablet or whatever before the debate on Tuesday night. You do have a few more days to do it, but you know, better safe than sorry. Also, be aware that that PDF is 30 pages long. There are 30 cards there, so just print as many pages as you need. Each card is different, so feel free to pick out cards in the middle or at the end, and you'll have your own bingo experience. Each card is identified with a letter at the top right, so you'll know if you're playing card A or B or Q. That helps when you're on Twitter and asking around whether anybody else has a bingo on, say, card J. All right, more on debate bingo right before the event. Let's move on. And last up today, let's listen to a candidate anecdote from Senator Elizabeth Warren, along with her husband, Bruce Mann. It's an interview with CNN's MJ Lee, and the couple sat on their sun porch and told the story of how they met. This story happens in 1979 in Key Biscayne, Florida, which, by the way, shout out to my Miami friends, and the two of them met at a law conference. Okay, Bruce Mann speaks first, then you'll hear Lee, and then Warren. Listen in. As I approached the reception, I looked across the lawn, and the, from about, oh, I don't know, 25 yards away, the, uh, I saw Elizabeth talking to, to a couple of people. Mm-hmm. And, the, um, and even from that distance, the, I, was just, I was just drawn to her. I mean, she mm-hmm. was so lively, so animated, uh, so engaged. I, I just fell for her from 25, 25 yards out before even meeting. Love at first sight? For me, yes. It took, it, it took her a couple of days. Yeah. For no, you? It's much slower. Uh, that was a Sunday late afternoon. Uh, that's right, yeah. When we met. Yeah. I wasn't completely in love with him until sometime mid-morning on Monday. Hmm. He was in the row ahead of me, down at the other end of the row. And it was on Monday when I actually saw him in shorts. And <laughs> good luck in legs. And... Wow. Yeah, that's when, that's when I was all in. Yeah, that's right. I, that's right. I was, she completely objectified me. It's true. <laughs> it was in the fall, hmm. and uh, I'd watched him teach a class, which I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting in the back of the room while he's teaching, and when the class is all, he's taught a really good class, and students, lots of interaction, students ask some questions afterwards, they all leave. And he walks back in this big, empty classroom, he looks down at me and he says, well, what did you think? And I said, great, 
will you marry me? And he said, yes. Yes. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. That's right. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I got to see him in one, you know, got to see him in shorts. Uh, got to watch him play tennis, got to do all, all that right. when we were in Miami for three weeks, and then um, got to see him teach. And but that's it. Yeah. I'm marrying this one. You know, when you find a good one, grab them and hang on. Now, there is more to that story. It's a total of about eight minutes. So if you're curious, check out the last link in the show notes. And yes, the video does include photos of Bruce Mann wearing shorts. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. Okay, we're closing out yet another big news week, and I don't expect things to get any slower as we proceed. I want to give you an update on next week's podcast schedule, which will be a little unusual due to holidays, and because I'll be working at the Classic Tetris World Championship, yes, that really is a thing, starting a week from today. Every year, I give a weekend to that tournament where I run the cameras. You can stream the event from home, and I will tell you more about what it is next week. It is very non-political. Anyway, schedule for next week. Monday, a short show about debates. Tuesday, debate prep. Wednesday, debate recap. Thursday, a normal show of some kind. And Friday, no show. I have the day off. Then the following Monday, I'm bringing Kirby Ferguson back for another special event show, and then everything is back to normal. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all on Monday. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 